You're listening to Commute, the podcast. Congratulations, you'll be smarter when you get there. What up? Welcome into Commute, the podcast. I'm Dave. And I'm Jay. And we are about to take you on a deep dive on three topics that we find interesting, and we're betting that you might just find them interesting, too. We can promise you this. You'll be smarter when you get there. On this edition of Commute, sometimes a company deserves to be the topic of conversation around the work water cooler, and sometimes they don't. This week, we discuss how perhaps Crock-Pot has set the standard and what to do when you didn't ask for the publicity. Every year, you probably see it posted by your friends on social media, or it's very likely that you post one yourself, your annual streaming report of your year in music sent to you by Spotify called Spotify Wrapped. So what's really under the wraps of Spotify Wrapped? We've all done things we regret, but usually it's okay if no one got hurt. But if they do get hurt, well, then our mistakes live on forever. Just ask the Rolling Stones. All of that on this edition of Commute. Let's go. Jay, I think you'd agree you don't have to listen to many episodes of Commute to get a a feeling for how I feel about the limit that is placed upon a spoiler. So when does a spoiler stop being a spoiler? The movie just came out recently? No go. Spoiler. Don't talk about it. An episode just aired last night? Get out of here. That's still a spoiler. But if something's been out for a few years, a spoiler is no longer a spoiler. But in fairness, this segment contains a spoiler for a 2018, well, depending on your, your definition of spoiler, for a 2018 episode of the NBC show This Is Us. So consider this your warning. Jay, you proud of me? Is that fair? Yeah, I know that was really hard for you because I know that it you really just take was. some kind of twisted joy and surprise spoiling someone <laughs> and then acting like you didn't know. Like, oh, I thought you've seen it or something like that. Oh, with all that said, though, Jay, my friend, do you have a favorite appliance in your house? So I guess either a favorite or maybe a most used. Well, that's easy. Uh, the Instant Pot slash Air Fryer all in one. I mean, the thing can do it all. You know, I do a lot of the cooking in our house. I like to cook and... I mean, you talk about efficient. I mean, you can get you know, meat cooked in it. You can make soup in it. You can make French fries in it. It's amazing. Oh, dude, I totally agree. <laughs> and this is a recent buy for me. This episode brought to you by Instant Pot. <laughs> the air fryer is incredible. It really does everything. Like, my favorite function is when you buy to-go fries and you need to re-crisp those bad boys. You throw them in the air fryer about two minutes. Boom! It's like you just got them at the restaurant. You can even boil an egg. In an air fryer. Uh, it was, yeah, the list of what you can't do is uh, way shorter than the list of what you can do. But Jay, for some folks, their favorite and or most used appliance is the crock pot. A staple during the winter at-home cooking season, the crock pot is pretty awesome. The slow cooker machine lends itself to both convenience and reliability. Throw in some ingredients, go to work, and voila, dinner is ready when you get home. In fact, Jay, in 2015, the New York Times actually publicly praised the Crock-Pot and slow cookers in general for, and I quote, their ability to transform ordinary items in your kitchen pantry and whole hunks of meat into rich stews, warm dips, and hearty braises. 
But Jay, this love for the crockpot was challenged in 2018 because in 2018, a crockpot literally tried to kill a popular TV character on the show This Is Us. This Is Us was a hit show, which just ended its incredible run earlier this year on NBC. It guided viewers through the lives of the Pearson family, spanning the 1980s to the 2010s, flashing back and forth to tell different parts of each family member's story. But Jay, for two seasons, the show's central mystery, not a side story, mind you, had been dominated by the circumstances around the death of one of its most popular characters, Jack, who did not appear in the present-day flash-forwards. Well, Jay, in the last moments of the 13th episode, the finale of season two, Jack is cleaning up his kitchen, including a crock pot he used for what I'm sure was a delicious chili. All of a sudden, we are taken to a flashback of Jack receiving said crock pot with a stern warning. Be careful. The switch is faulty. What we see next, Jay, is the entire house ablaze. Emotional shots of Jack and his family, and the credits start to roll. Now, while we'd find out later the fire didn't actually kill Jack, it sure seemed that it did in the moment. Jay, unsurprisingly, the blame for the crockpot was harsh and immediate. Be right back, throwing away my crockpot, one viewer said at the time. I hate crockpots and will pursue legal action, (laughs) said another. Jay, it wasn't hard to see. Crockpots were at a crossroads based on something from beyond the company's control. So, instead of pursuing legal action against the show, which was definitely on the table for Crockpot, the company decided to go on the offensive. The Crockpot company responded to angry fans of the show on Twitter and even worked with show creator Dan Fogelman to tweet out statements pushing the blame away from the actual Crockpot. Taking a moment to remind everyone that it was a 20-year-old fictional Crockpot with an already funky switch, wrote Fogelman. Let's not lump all those lovely, hard-working crockpots together, okay? Crockpot then put out its own response. Jack Pearson was our valentine, so we equally understand your pain with his loss, the company wrote in part. We love him, and we love you too. Don't further add to our heartbreak by no longer using crockpot slow cookers. Rest assured, our products have been generationally tested by your family and friends. We're heartbroken over last night's episode, too. We are innocent until proven guilty. Jay, in the end, the offensive approach versus a defensive one was the perfect play by Crockpot. According to AdAge, Crockpot sales actually increased by more than $300,000 just one month after the episode aired. Now, Jay, pop culture affecting real products is nothing new and something we've actually discussed on this show before. Whether it be the changing wine industry due to the movie Sideways or Peloton sales due to the Sex and the City reboot, but perhaps when it happens again, and it will happen again, we can all take a page out of the Crock-Pot playbook and just try to be a good sport about it. I just want to know what it's like in the boardroom of these marketing departments, like when they hear, like, do they get a tip-off? Like, hey, your product is going to be used to kill off a character in a show that everyone loves, and you're going to have to figure out how to deal with this. Or do they just react in real time? Like, they come in, and the next day, they're just expecting an easy Friday, and instead it's like DEFCON 10 because... You know, everybody's angrily tweeting at them and they didn't even do anything to deserve it. It's like Hot Pockets. I feel like people are always making fun of Hot Pockets. 
Like, do you think that they're just always having an eye out for those those missions? Like, <laughs> oh no, another one. So, Dave, both you and I are Spotify users. That's where we uh, listen to yes, music. Sir. And um, every year at the end of the year, you get uh, kind of a report from Spotify called Spotify Wrapped that tells you exactly uh, what you listen to, how much of it you listen to. And we haven't talked about this yet, like before the show, but I'm assuming that we have a similar problem with our Spotify Wraps uh, in that we have more people than just us on our account. Yeah, so uh, one of my favorite bands is Jimmy World. Okay, so Jimmy World was my most listened to artist. Jimmy World was not in my top five most played songs, though, because the rest of my most played artists and my top five songs were basically songs from Frozen. Yeah, see, so same with me. (laughs) My top artist was Taylor Swift, not because of me, Uh because of my wife. Nothing wrong with that. My, I think, Uh second or third top artist was Paw Patrol (laughs) uh, because of Paw Patrol songs. When we first had our our first son, Leo, three years ago, and well, actually, I guess it wasn't three years ago. It's whenever he could actually request music. or like, I want to listen to this. (laughs) So he'd ask to listen to stuff, and then I'd just play songs over and over and over and over and over later to try to rebalance my Spotify list. It's just way too much work. So I just had to throw in the towel, give it up. Yeah, I remember us having a conversation like you were particularly mad because you were just like, your algorithm just got totally... And start suggesting stuff like, based on your recent listening habits, you may want to listen to, and it's like Uncle Slappy's circus music. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Dave, like we said a couple weeks ago, we entered Spotify rap season, uh, where the music and podcast streaming powerhouse service Spotify puts together a personalized overview for each user that recaps what the user listened to over the course of the year, packed with data from your most streamed songs to your most streamed artists, down to the exact number of minutes of music you listen to over the course of the year. This campaign then gets captured by screenshot by millions of Spotify users and shared via other social media sites as a snapshot showcase of what someone's music taste is. From an advertising standpoint, this is Spotify's biggest and, let's be honest, most effective marketing campaign of the year, too. Every user that shares their data with the world is essentially giving Spotify free advertising and creating a little bit of FOMO for those who missed out. So prep work for Spotify Wrapped actually goes back pretty far, too, Dave. A creative team at Spotify starts six months in advance, according to Alex Bodman, the global executive creative director at Spotify, and Taj Alavi, the company's global head of marketing, according to the New York Times. This gives plenty of time for the team to create versions of Wrapped in more than 70 languages, guaranteeing that the team can have time to comb through the text for linguistic nuance. And past that, though, Dave, the team doesn't do much promotion for it at all. They push the data into the world and let the users spread it from there. In 2021, Spotify Wrapped was shared 60 million times across social media sites by users. The graphics for Spotify Wrapped are already pre-made and easy to share to build your online persona. There's even buttons to share directly to Twitter or Instagram or Facebook. And this year, Spotify even offered a new feature that categorized the mood of the music a user listened to at certain times of the day and could, in a way, chart your mood throughout a typical day based on your music taste. And Dave, while this is for most people just fun and games... 
The deeper look behind this sort of thing reveals something to us about Spotify, which is that the platform has gathered quite a lot of data about their users. And while we're starting to see more and more criticism gathering around companies who gather data on their users to sell to advertisers, Spotify is escaping a lot of that criticism and in a bigger sense is celebrating with you that they gathered it in the first place. This is a particularly (laughs) shining example of the fact that Spotify's business model is based on surveillance. Evan Greer, the director of digital rights advocacy group Fight for the Future, told Wired Magazine. Spotify has done an amazing job of marketing surveillance as fun and getting people to not only participate in their own surveillance, but celebrate it and share it and brag about it to the world. To create these lists and charts and all this data, Dave, Spotify uses a pretty advanced artificial intelligence system to predict not only what kind of music you may want to listen to, but more importantly, what type of ads you'd want to see. And Dave, while the music we listen to may just honestly not feel like that big of a deal or that personal, our data on what we choose to listen to can actually reveal a lot about us. If you stream the Paw Patrol theme song 150 times, for example, like me, you probably have a kid. If you played mostly sad songs for a stretch of time, you're probably going through something. And while Spotify insists that they do not sell personal data to third parties, they do store a user's data for the entire time an account exists, and they do personalize ads for users. Now, ultimately, in the grand scheme of things, users just won't really care that much about this. I mean, if people cared about their personal data being gathered, they wouldn't be on social media at all. The gathering of our data and then that data being used to create a profile on us to then sell things to us, well, that practice has just become so streamlined that we don't even really, at least as a society, take that much of an issue with it. And so for Spotify... Not only do they gather data on their users, what I think is interesting here, Dave, is they invite their users to show everyone the data they gathered for them as an advertising stunt, which is nothing if not unique. You know, we talked about how sometimes, this was an episode a long time ago, sometimes a company is so big that they are the only company you think of when you think of their industry. Like, for example, Skype used to be the video chatting. Now it's Zoom. It's like, I'm going to Zoom you. I was going to Skype you is how we used to talk about it. So in my mind, Spotify is like the only player in the digital music industry, but I know I'm wrong. There are a lot of other ones. So the top five competitors for Spotify, though, are interesting because, you know, Spotify is not for everybody. Some people, Apple Music, we all know about that. Amazon Music, number two. Number three, YouTube music. Number four, Pandora. But number five, Deezer music? <laughs> like, we got any Deezers out there? I don't even know what that is. Uh, I feel like I'm very in touch with, with pop culture, and I've never heard of that before in my life. If you're using Deezer, get a hold of me. Maybe we should be on Deezer. We might That's be. We I don't know. Maybe we level. need to check and see if we're on yeah, Deezer. Yeah, if you're listening to this on Deezer, let us know. Jay, what's a really bad decision that you've made in your life? Like maybe something that still haunts you today. (laughs) You make it sound really serious. The thing I'm about to tell you is not that serious, but I do think about it. Sometimes I wake up at two in the morning thinking about this and I can't go back to sleep. uh, What I'm about to tell you. 
and you love this story because you love my misery. But uh, about a year ago or so, uh, the place where I go work out uh, gives you, like it's uh, based on classes, right? So you take classes, you sign up for them and all that. They had a promotional last year called Hell Week. And there was like, about like eight, I think there was like eight or nine classes. You had to do like five of them to get a t-shirt. So I signed up for it and something happened in the middle of the week and I only had four and there was one more class left that I could take. So this was Halloween last year and on ha- on the night that would turn, so it would be October 30th, turning over to October 31st at 11 p.m. They were offering a workout class and it would go from 11 p.m. to midnight. So when I heard about it, I thought, well, this sounds kind of cool. So I signed up for it and then I started to notice <laughs> as the days went on that I missed kind of the marketing behind it, that it wasn't just a class. It was a costume party class, okay? So <laughs> you, if you know me, you know, like, I, I hate Halloween costumes. Like, I just hate doing it. And I don't know anybody at this gym, really. Like, I just go in and I work out and I leave. So I go buy the stupidest mask ever because I can't find one because it's Halloween, literally. <laughs> day of, So they're all bought. So I buy this mask, I put it on, I'm wearing like black and this dumb like pumpkin mask or whatever. And I go in to work out. It's, it's awful. All these people are there. They're all like friends in group costumes. I'm like by myself. There's a guy beside me. I'm not kidding. Working out. You have to work out in your costume. Okay. He is wearing a full like movie quality costume of of joker from the dark knight like he has the full three-piece suit he has the the makeup and his hair's dyed green he's over ass. there cranking on a rower you know like all this <laughs> stuff and i'm just sitting there like this is the worst thing ever like i'm so embarrassed and unlike things that people forget about I'm sure no one there forgot about that. Like, hey, you remember when that guy showed up in that really sad pumpkin mask? He was working out by himself. <laughs> Jay, we've all done it. We all haven't done that specifically, but we've all done things that we feel bad about. My, my list of bad decisions is very, very long, but one that comes to mind almost immediately is one of my worst ones ever that happened when I was a sophomore in high school. So I'd started dating, and of course when you're 16, you use that term loosely, dating, an older girl, a senior, and decided that it was definitely love. So I needed to do something to obviously prove to her that it was love. I needed to do what any lovesick teenager would do. I needed to write her a song. Having also somewhat recently started a band, it was all in front of me, Jay, this was the perfect idea, right? Spoiler alert, no, it was not. (laughs) I wrote her a song called Dream Girl, and while countless people tried to stop me from A, writing it, B, writing it, recording it, and giving it to her, I did it anyway. I wrote it, recorded it, and took it to her. Jay, believe me when I tell you, she and I never spoke again. (laughs) I can't believe you're about to move on and not tell the audience what the chorus was. Well, if you don't, I'm going to. Let me just say, months later, (laughs) I saw her at the mall and walked up to her and said, hey, really quick, it was Dream Girl, wasn't it? And she just nodded, yes, it was, and we both walked our separate ways. (laughs) Uh, But Jay, bad decisions are unfortunately just a part of life. And I'm in good company with Dream Girl because musicians make bad decisions all the time. In fact, Rolling Stone recently put out a list of the 50 worst decisions in music history. 
Things like Metallica fighting with its own fans over music downloads. Ashley Simpson not really singing on Saturday Night Live. And Kanye West, well, basically everything that Kanye West does. But today, Jay, we're going to talk about number one on that list, which happened just over 53 years ago. It features the band, the Rolling Stones, and brought a violent end to the 1960s. The Altamont Music Festival was a brand spanking new music festival in 1969. The Northern California event was the brainchild of the Rolling Stones, and it was positioned as the perfect way to cap off the band's 1969 U.S. tour, with a festival that would rival the infamous Woodstock Festival. Unlike Woodstock, though, Jay, which is legendary for its own insanity, Altamont was not the result of months and months of careful planning. No, no, no. Instead, it was basically an improvised event with venue locations, staffing, and a ticketing plan all being developed just mere days before the event was supposed to happen. Just two days, Jay, two days before the event, the organizers decided on the location of the Altamont Motor Speedway. The event would now be free, and it would feature legendary music acts. Talent like Santana, the Jefferson Airplane, Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young, and the Grateful Dead, all leading to the Rolling Stones as the headliner. Jay, the event also included something else, a -a one-of-a-kind security team. In exchange for $500 worth of beer, the notoriously violent motorcycle gang, the Hells Angels, were asked to serve as informal security. And things went about how you'd expect. By the time the Grateful Dead were scheduled to perform, just before the Rolling Stones, the Grateful Dead had already left out of concerns over their own safety after the lead singer of Jefferson Airplane had been knocked out cold by one of the members of Hell's Angels during a mosh pit that had gone awry. But Jay, it was during the Rolling Stones set that things really escalated. A Hell's Angels member named Alan Passero stabbed an 18-year-old girl named Meredith Hunter to death because he saw that she had a gun. And all of this happened just feet in front of Stone's frontman, Mick Jagger. Jagger wouldn't know about the killing until after the set, but it's followed him and the band to some extent for the past five decades. In the NJ, the festival featured a reported three accidental deaths, four live births somehow, (laughs) and officially capped off the 1960s with a violent exclamation point that may have been the worst idea ever. Yeah, it's kind of like the uh, 1960s version of Fire Festival, you know, just yes. uh, getting everybody out somewhere, <laughs> showing them some music, but really it just dissolves <laughs> no into plan whatsoever. just uh, complete anarchy. Let me tell you something, though. Hell's Angels are no joke. Yeah, didn't uh, didn't you have a teacher in high school that got, like, robbed by the Hell's Angels or yes. something? Yes, you don't mess with them. I had, I had a teacher in high school out of her, out of safety for her. She's probably still in some watch, uh, FBI watch group. Um, I won't reveal her name, but she used to go out on motorcycle trips with her husband. Really sweet lady. And so they'd go from the East Coast to the West Coast just to, like every summer on their motorcycle. It was like how they spent their summer vacation. And they got robbed by Hell's Angels. Like they had their motorcycle stolen, all their stuff. Like in my mind, she told us that they had even their clothes stolen, that they were naked, <laughs> stranded in the desert. Yeah, we want those guys to win security. 
Thanks for listening. Don't forget to rate, subscribe, and review Commute on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or on your favorite podcast network. Maybe it's Deezer. We're on social. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And you can always say what up at our website, commutethepodcast.com. Music for Commute is provided by my main man, Jason Sammons. For Jay Sisson, I'm Dave Traub. We'll see you next week. Do you want me to sing the chorus? Yeah, I think our audience deserves to know what the lyrics were. I really don't remember it. <laughs> I believe uh, it went, you're my dream girl. I hope you know it's true. Because every time the, what is it? The dreams, the no, dream something, it ends it, with you. Right. You got to tell me what it is. I can't remember. Girl, I hope you know it's true. Because every time I dream, the dream begins with you. That's it. Come on. How could the, you not love that? The colors that your eyes reflect cut straight to my heart. <laughs> I think about you constantly, even when we are apart. <laughs> That's pretty i mean hey you put that over like a you know you put that in the mouth of the one republic (laughs) singer or something and it's a hit